the unknown. Mystery. Space. Have fun. Adventure. Suspense. Fantasy. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror. Welcome to journey number 176 of the Journey Into Podcast, featuring Butcher Gulch by Marshall Latham. I am your guide on this journey, Marshall Latham, coming to you from base camp in the Treasure Valley. Well, actually, I'm lying to you. I'm actually traveling through Montana as I record this. Uh, It's a little bit unorthodox for a journey into proper episode for me to be on the road. Uh, I typically do those uh, in my office slash studio, but uh, this is a special occasion. This is uh, meant to be a birthday present for my good friend, Rish Outfield. He surprised me on his podcast back in February by writing a story um, for me. Not really, well, yeah, it was for me to present on my birthday, but it was not, uh, you know, it it wasn't about me necessarily. Uh, It was called The Walk of Death, and uh, he was inspired to write that story uh, based on Uh, a little podcast that I do on uh, my Patreon page called The Walk of Life, where I just talk about what I'm trying to do to stay active and walk and exercise and uh, become a healthier person, as well as answer a question of the week. Uh, So it's a weekly podcast that I do, like I said, over on Journey Into, over on patreon.com slash journey into. And uh, that was a pleasant surprise. It was it was very nice to have somebody write a story uh, with me in mind and dedicate it to me on my birthday. And so I wanted to return the favor. And so I found out when Rish's birthday was. And my plan was to write a particular story. I came up with a uh, title. I came up with a premise. And my intention in May and June was to write this story, then record it and present it for Rish here on the Journey Into podcast. But I did not uh, do the work. I did not write the story. And I'll, I'll talk more about that particular story after I present the story that I've written. It's a much shorter story. It's a different uh, premise that really doesn't tie into Rish at all, other than I think he'll enjoy this story coming up. And I was inspired to write this story on my travels to Montana in early July. So 
it, this was a spur of the moment thing that I've thrown together and hopefully I'm able to present it well enough that you'll enjoy it here on the podcast and that Rich will enjoy it as a birthday present and uh, we'll go from there. So for now, uh, come with me and let's journey into Butcher's Gulch. Butcher's Gulch by Marshall Latham So, why does Butte set fireworks on the 3rd of July? asked Melanie. I don't know, said Will. They've always done it as long as I can remember. Maybe so that families can light their own fireworks on the 4th? Will turned off of Highway 95 onto Highway 13 at Grangeville. He had decided to take the long scenic route from Boise up to his hometown in Montana. They were now about halfway there, with about five hours to go. Will had never traveled this way, but always wanted to, and it was a perfect opportunity to test out the 2020 Toyota 86 that he had just bought on the open road. It cost a pretty penny, but he worked hard as an electrician and felt he deserved a sporty car. Wow, Grangeville is all decked out for the holiday, Melanie said. The main street of downtown, which they were now driving through, had U.S. flags and red, white, and blue posters hung across it. Yeah, there are quite a few people gathered around. Maybe we're on the parade route, but it's only the second, Will said. Maybe this is a typical Saturday in Grangeville, said Melanie. Oh, It looks like there is a farmer's market or something going on. Is this town about the size of Butte? No, Butte is much larger. By about five times, probably. I'm looking forward to meeting your mom in person. Even though I saw her when we FaceTimed her to announce the engagement, and I've talked to her on the phone a couple times, it'll be really nice to get to know her a little bit. Oh yeah, she'll love you. How couldn't she? You are smoking hot and more friendly than Kelly Clarkson. I don't think your mom cares if I'm smoking hot. No, but she'll say you're adorable. Will flashed Melanie a cheesy grin. He looked around the countryside. Grangeville had fallen away behind them, and it was now rolling hills and farmer's fields. Was I right about taking the scenic route or what? It is pretty, said Melanie but also out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, that's the best part. There are only a few small towns and campground areas for the next 150 miles or so until we get to Lolo. You're my little country boy. You'll be in for a shock when we go visit my family in SoCal next month. You mean Chatsworth isn't very remote? (laughs) Hardly, she said. Will's phone suddenly erupted. In one mile, take a left onto Butcher Gulch Road, it stated. Holy crap, Will exclaimed, putting a hand to his heart. I forgot that the navigation app was still turned on. I might need to change my drawers. I thought we were supposed to stay on the highway, Melanie said. Maybe it's a shortcut. 
Melanie pulled up her phone and started scrolling and zooming on her own navigation app. Will slowed down and turned left on the next road. Are you sure you want to turn? Melanie asked. I don't want to get lost. <laughs> Google's never steered me wrong yet. It's a new adventure, said Will. Melanie kept studying her phone. Well, I, I guess the highway does jog over and around a bit before heading back up north. See? It's a shortcut. The asphalt eventually feathered out, and they began driving on a dirt road. Are you sure about this? Melanie said quietly. They passed a crossroad, and Melanie read the road sign. That sign said we're on Fairview Road. That's not what your phone said. As if in answer, Will's phone announced, Continue on Butcher Gulch Road for three miles. Oh, they probably changed it recently, and the app hasn't been updated yet, Will said. I don't know. They rode along in silence. Farmers' fields passed by, as well as green meadows mixed with sagebrush. It was Melanie's turn to jump when the phone blurted. In a half a mile, turn right on Luke Creek Road. After driving over a rise, they could see another road cutting through the field, perpendicular to them. They also saw the intersection was blocked on either side by some trucks. Will slowed the car as they neared the crossroad. Turn right onto Luke Creek Road, insisted the phone. Will came to a stop. In addition to his turn signal, he rolled down his window and motioned with his arm that he intended to turn. The trucks didn't move. There were three trucks blocking the right side. A huge Mack truck with a sewage tank on the back was parked in the middle with pickup trucks flanking it on each side. The two vehicles blocking the road on the left were an old Jeep Wagoneer and a Suburban. All of the vehicles were dusty and grimy and rusted. All of the occupants wore baseball caps that shadowed their faces. Will opened his door, but Melanie grabbed his arm tightly. Don't go out there, Will. These men look dangerous. I'm not going to start a fight or anything, Will assured her. I'm just going to explain where we are headed. He stepped out of the car, but stayed close to it. Uh, excuse me, he called to the center sewage truck. I need to turn that way. We're just traveling through, heading to Lolo. There was no reaction from any of the trucks or their occupants. They just seemed to stare at him, though he couldn't see their eyes. We don't want any trouble. Maybe I could just go around. Ain't nobody turning right on this road, said the driver from the sewage truck. He had a low, even voice that invited no argument. Will didn't answer. He just stood there, unsure of what to do. Nobody's turning here either, said the driver of the old wagoneer. That's right, exclaimed the passenger with a short chuckle. He stuck his head out of the window with a big toothy grin. He was just a kid, maybe 16. He had long, greasy hair and a scruffy short beard. Then the driver slapped him on the shoulder, and the kid ducked his head back into the jeep. The sewage driver spoke again. Just keep going straight, he said. 
There's other ways for you to turn up ahead. He punctuated this by spitting a huge wad of tobacco on the ground. Will got back in the car and just glared at the steering wheel. His hands were shaking. I, I, I don't know what to do, he said. Well, I think we should turn around and get back on the highway where we came from, said Melanie. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good idea. Will put the car in reverse and turned his head around to back up. Then he jumped and cried out. What? What is it? asked Melanie. Then she turned around and saw that there was another truck behind them, about 30 yards blocking their exit. This was a lifted truck with dually tires and a long bed stacked with hay bales. Its driver could have been a clone of the rest of them. Baseball cap, shadowed face, silent. Where did he come from? demanded Will, his voice cracking a bit. I don't know. I don't don't know. The hay truck started inching forward and set off an air horn that made Bill jump so hard he hit his head on the ceiling. Melanie started to cry. Will looked over at his bride-to-be, and his face hardened with determination. All right. They want me to go forward? I'll show them forward. He slammed the 86 into drive and peeled out. The couple jetted forward and left the truck blockade in the dust. But Will swore he heard someone yell, Yeehaw! as they sped away. Be careful, Melanie said. Huh, I'll take my chances with this road versus those hicks back there, Will said. In the rearview mirror and through the dust, Will could see that at least some of the trucks were following them. Probably all of them. But he was pulling away from them. Maybe the flight response was tempering the terror in his brain, but he couldn't help but smile a bit at the performance of his 86. The road started to incline, and the terrain around them became more rocky. Potholes in the road jostled them back and forth and up and down. Will heard the underside of his car taking hits from the road. You've got to slow down, Melanie pleaded. Will slowed down a little but wanted as much distance as he could get from the trucker boys. Eventually, they reached a sort of peak, and the 86 caught air as the road fell away below them. They landed hard, and the car instantly pulled to the right. Probably the axle, Will thought. Will had to crank hard on the steering wheel to get back on the road and keep it there, but he kept driving. You need to stop, Melanie shouted. I can't stop, Melanie. They're following us. Do you understand that? When Melanie didn't answer, he looked over at her. She was bleeding from her right temple. It must have happened during the jump. Oh, baby, I'm I'm sorry, he said. He opened up his middle console and pulled out a pair of socks. He separated them from each other and handed one to Melanie. Here you go. Try to stop the bleeding. Why do you have socks in the car? Melanie asked. Really? That's your question? No, no, I'm sorry. We we just have to make it to the highway. 
The 86 kept rolling down the hill, but despite the aid of gravity, they were slowing down. Soon, he heard the roar of big engines, followed by calls and yells. It sounded to Will like an old western when the Indians were on the attack. But these weren't Hollywood Indians. These were good old white boys from central Idaho. Will had always found the people in Idaho to be very nice and decent people. Never had a problem. But this bunch was trouble. The parade of rusted rigs fanned out around and behind them, enveloping the couple in a sort of moving funnel. They kept their distance, but made sure there was no escape. All Will could do was keep driving forward and listen to victory calls from the pack. What's that? Melanie said, pointing forward. Will squinted and looked up the road ahead. In about a half a mile, it looked like the road just ended. As he took a more broadened view, Will realized they were headed toward a cliff. Son of a... We have to stop, Melanie yelled, grabbing Will's arm. I know, but... But what, Will thought. He couldn't think straight. Too many things were happening at once. He focused his attention on the end of the road. There were two wooden buildings, one on each side of the road. What were they doing there? Who would build something like that out here in the middle of nowhere? And there was something else in the middle of the road. What what was that? Stop! Melanie screamed. Will suddenly remembered that he was barreling toward the edge of a cliff. He slammed on the brakes and skidded sideways and around until they faced the opposite direction. But they did stop. The truck brigade had all spread out and stopped a ways off, silently watching again. Come on, Melanie. We we have to make a run for it. Will opened his door and stumbled out of the car. I can't. My seatbelt is stuck, Melanie said. Let me help, Will said. He started walking around the back of the car. Suddenly, two large men with long beards wearing leather aprons emerged from the building on Melanie's side. One of the men opened her door, and the other man cut Melanie's seatbelt and pulled her from the vehicle. Melanie was screaming and kicking and scratching. It took both men to control her. Will ran over and tried to stop them, but he was easily pushed away and landed hard on a rock. He struggled up onto his knees. The two men were holding Melanie down on her knees, too. Then, a third man with a long beard and a leather apron came out of the building with a sledgehammer. The man lifted it high above his head and brought it squarely down on Melanie's head. Will heard a crack and a moist, slurpy sound. Melanie shook violently and then dropped to the ground like a sack of grain. All was quiet. Only his scream broke the silence. Will vomited. His eyes filled with hot tears, and it felt like the very earth was falling away from him. Then, he saw the bearded man coming toward him, blood spattered across their aprons. A primal survival instinct kicked more adrenaline into Will's body and brain. He stood up and ran away from the men. He ran a long way, and then noticed the cliff to his left had become more of a steep hill. Will heard the sound of a motor near him. The damned trucks, he thought. Through bleary eyes, he saw that it was the wagoneer again. Will turned and ran straight down the hill. Eventually, he fell and tumbled, but he got back up 
and ran again. A shot rang out, and Will fell again and remained still. Nice shot, son, said the driver of the wagoneer. The kid laid down the rifle on the hood of the SUV, which he had been bracing against. Thanks, Dad. That was a nice, clean shot. Perfect. You don't want to spoil the meat. I kind of like it when they run. Me too. The End So there you go. There is Butcher's Gulch by Marshall Latham. It's uh, my attempt at a little horror uh, story there. I, I say little because it's it's pretty short because I had to, to put it together in a short amount of time. And <laughs> I think it came off okay, but uh, I don't know. We'll see what you think of it. Uh, most important, I hope Rish Outfield enjoyed that story. Uh, I tried to make it a little bit darker than what I would typically do just because I know he enjoys that genre of horror. Um, I don't know. It's probably really light compared to some horror stories. Uh, But anyway, I was trying to embrace something there. And that's what I came up with. Short notice, short... uh, I didn't have much time to put it together. So there you go. There's Butcher's Gulch. Like I said, at the beginning... There was a story that I wanted to do that it was it was a story tailor made for Rich Outfield. At least in my mind, it was. And so I thought maybe for the rest of this episode, I could brainstorm a little bit. I can I can tell you what the title was, what the basic premise was, and then maybe brainstorm a little bit and uh, figure out and, and write this story for next year. I'll de- I'll dedicate it. To Rish, hopefully, you know this won't serve as too big of a spoiler, so you won't appreciate it next year. But I decided it'd be fun. To, I've never done a brainstorming session on the podcast before. This is live, <laughs> so this whole thing is an experiment. Uh, I typically would not do something like this, uh, recording on the road, as well as throw something together last minute and then do a brainstorming session on a journey into proper <laughs> on a journey episode, I should say, you know, that I, I tried to keep these pretty professional and consistent and not veer from the, the pattern that I've set up for these journey episodes, but Hey, it's time to try something new, something different. So, uh, the title of the story that I wanted to write for Rish, but I have not written. I've written a tiny little bit, and I've changed a few things and deleted a few things already uh, in my attempts to write something in May and June. Um, the title of it is The Outcast. And Rish has a uh, podcast called The Rish Outcast. And so I liked that title right away. That was the first thing I thought. Okay, the title of the story is going to be The Outcast, and what's it going to be about? And my idea was, uh, Rish tends to like stories about, take a random day, 
And in this town, in, in this area of the world or the nation, there's something weird that happens on this day. Uh, he's written uh, a story called Takeover Day when entities from some other dimension take over people in this one town on a certain day. Oh, come on. I know. I know. <laughs> like I say, this is uh, a live recording here. I, I know I've heard a couple other stories that he's written that is something happening on a certain day in this town. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to find a town and they are going to have a day on Rish's birthday that is in this town. It's called Outcast Day. And kind of imagining something along the lines of Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, but only in, uh, because it, it only resembles it after the fact. Like my thoughts for the story uh, came after, or I only thought of the lottery after I had already come up with this premise and decided what I wanted to do. But I thought it'd be fun, like this town that we're talking about has to have somebody declared long ago for some reason, probably supernatural reason. That's the part I haven't figured out yet, all the details. But for some reason, years ago, when this town was first established, or in the early days of this town, they determined that July 13th would be outcast day, and that this city or town could only have a certain number in its population. And outcast day was when somebody needed to be an outcast and kicked out of town, never to return or something like that. That was my idea. And I, I really like that idea. And I really want to develop this story. I just need to actually put in the work and do the time. But yeah, that, that sounded like a fun thing. And so I started to work on that premise and come up with characters. I said, I had written a little bit of this and I have, (laughs) but it's only a little bit. So let me, let me, uh, read you a bit of the, the, the very beginning of this story as starting it up. Um, so that at least you'll have this base for my, for the brainstorming session. Here we go. And I'm going to actually pull over for this. As Delvin and Rose entered Tia's Chalupa, Delvin was surprised to see the restaurant crowded to its limits. Typically a never-empty but quiet place, Tia's was now a raucous chorus of conversation and conjecture. Not that the little town of Catella, Ohio, was ever anything but busy when compared to a big city like Cleveland or Cincinnati, but he'd never seen anything like this. Wow, said Delvin. What's going on here today? Is Tia having a big special or something? No, said Rose, but Outcast Day is coming up on Wednesday. Outcast Day? Oh, yeah, I've heard you guys talk about that before. It's like an annual festival here, right? Like the Lamb and Wool Festival every year we had back in my hometown in Oregon. But if it's not until Wednesday, why is everybody getting all excited about it now? That's it. That's all I have <laughs> at this point. Uh, that's all that I've, I've written. I, like I said, I had written some other things, 
Uh, but I decided against it and, and went back to this, to what I have now. I've had lots of different thoughts, but I, I've just, I haven't been able to, to really pull it into something concrete. You know, I want to have a good reason why this city, um, has to maintain its population. Uh, but then there's questions like, okay, if, if a baby is born within that year, you know, then they have to do, they have to outcast one other person. Uh, but if multiple babies are born, then multiple people have to be outcast. And I guess that can be part of the rules. And it's just part of setting that up and explaining that to Delvin here. So, you know, eventually I figured, you know, Rose is kind of like a, not a girlfriend, but a friend that he's, so, so a little bit about Delvin. And I can't remember where I came up with that name. I think I heard it on a TV show or something. But uh, Delvin came into town like in September last year. And so he's been living in this town and gotten to know people. And he's friends with Rose and another uh, and another guy named, I don't know, Gary, Larry, uh, Robert, you know, Rob, something, some other friend. So it's kind of the, this group of friends that he has. And he's kind of sweet on Rose and she's kind of sweet on him, but they've never said anything or committed anything. And, and every time Delvin thinks that he's getting closer to Rose, she kind of backs off because, you know, probably because in her mind, she knows what's going to happen on outcast day and what does happen on outcast day. Uh, basically everybody in town is up for being the outcast and some council or some method has been determined to figure out who's going to be the outcast. And this is where the similarities to the lottery comes in because in, in that story, you know, it's basically a random drawing of stones, I think, or, you know, everybody, you know, they, they pull a name out of a hat or whatever and whoever wins the lottery uh, gets killed, right, in the lottery. Spoiler alert! Uh, and I've presented that here on the show. I think it was NBC University Studios or something that did a uh, old-time radio adaptation of that story at some point. And so, that's not what I was thinking of, though. But, yeah, it is definitely a parallel to the lottery. So I need to make it different. I don't want to make it random, that a random person... There has to be some weird ritual that happens every July 13th to determine who's going to be the outcast. And I, I, that's the part I've struggled with. Is it an old crony that comes in and does some magic spell or, uh, you know, feels who it's supposed to be? And why does everybody believe that person? Why don't they think that person is a fraud? You know, just some kind of system that everybody in this town trusts and believes in and why do they believe in it and why didn't they tell Delvin about this when he first came into town so that he had a, a choice to leave the town you know maybe that's the thing if you come into town and you decide to stay for longer than a month you can't leave the city or you know I don't know I, that's the things that I need to figure out what are the rules of this outcast day and I, it's really kind of stuck me in a quagmire of uh, not writing because I wanted to have at least 
the basic logic behind all of this in my head before I wrote a lot. Because, you know, I could go down the road and start writing this story as I go and by the seat of my pants and, you know, certain scenes I could write. But unless I have it all figured out, then I can't, I don't think I can write it well. Because, you know, I should be able to include things at the beginning of the story that makes sense when you know about Outcast Day. So I, I really have to lay it out in my mind. So, yeah, what are some things that I could do? Or where do they go if they're outcasts? Are they just kicked out of the city and then they can't return? Or do they go somewhere else? And I really kind of like that idea. Like, you're not just an outcast of the city, but you're outcast to a bad place. A place that nobody wants to go. And again, why? Why do they have to go to this other place that's not a good place to go? Not hell. I don't want it to be as simple as that. Um, that they, they go to hell from <laughs> the only way out of uh, Catella, uh, Ohio, is to go to hell. But uh, I don't know. Something like that. And then, you know, I, the other thing that I've been struggling with is... Why the number? You know, I, I, okay, I was going to come up with a number. You know, there has to be 5,000 or 555,555 people, Catella. And I just made that up. <laughs> there was a street that uh, where our hotel was at when we were at Star Wars Celebration together. That's how I came up with Catella, um, Ohio. And I think the bad place where we're going to go is going to be Tustin. Because there was another main street that we always hit when we were in Anaheim called Tustin. Um, so I thought that'd be fun to include our time at Star Wars Celebration into the story. Uh, but anyway, you know, so some number, some magic number that had to be maintained in the city. And, you know, the other thing is, what if... Nobody moves into town, and Outcast Day comes, but it already has the perfect balance of the citizens of Catella. Uh, what do they do? Is that a is that a, a buy year? <laughs> is uh, is everybody celebrate Outcast Day because nobody has to leave? You know, maybe that's the goal. You know, but. When Delvin comes to town and decides to stay, everybody knows that somebody has to leave on Outcast Day. And that balance has to be maintained. And so they, they, he might have been treated suspiciously by the old timers of the town uh, because he's the one that caused them to have to outcast somebody. And they don't want it to be them. They don't want it to be those that they love and care for. You know, maybe there are some certain people that people want to be the outcast, but how do they, and maybe there's a whole polit, you know, and maybe this affects the whole political structure of the town and it's a voting thing or, uh, you know, people receive strikes and if they get so many strikes or more strikes than anybody else, then that determines who the outcast is. Yeah. Those are the kinds of things I'm trying to figure out, you know. If an old man dies, what do they, yeah, what do they do if people die in Catella? And so you have a deficiency. You only have five or 55,555 55, 50 
three people living in the town and outcast day is coming up next week. Do you have to go seek and bring people to Catella to doom them to be stuck in this town? Uh, what if the people don't want to stay in Catella for the allotted time? Do you stick them in jail and make force them to stay in the town? You know, there's so many weird, crazy things that can happen under this scenario. And so again, I, I'm excited to explore this, but I, I didn't have time to do it. Um, and I, you know, I wasn't writing anyway, so I just blew it for this year, but that's why I'm talking about it now. Cause I, I want to write this story for Risha's birthday next year. And I'd be interested to hear your ideas. What do you think, um, would be some fun explanations of this kind of stuff. And maybe I'll include that in the story. Maybe I won't. It just, I'll just have to see what shakes out. And I'm not stuck on the number. You know, the number can be anything, right? I just have to determine what is the desired population of this town and then go with that. But the other thing is I want a reason. I want some, some reason that this number makes sense. And yeah, I can invent something, but I was trying to look at, numerology and see if there's any weird numbers, you know, that show up in numerology that have some mystical quality. And there are, but, uh, you know, like the number five, the number 23, the number seven, you know, a lot of these have certain mystical things around them, but that doesn't represent the, you can't have the population of a town be five people or 23 people. Well, you can, but that's, that's not the population I was thinking. You know, I want something around, you know, 20,000 or 50,000 or something, you know, a small town that's kind of remote and away from everybody and that not too many people go through. It's off the beaten path kind of thing. And not too many people drive through Catella or go there for any particular reason. And, you know, I'm sure there would be some superstition around the town that uh, would develop and things like that. But, you know, so it doesn't need to be a huge, large town. But just I do want a bunch of people in a downtown area and, and enough to fill the town square or something like that. You know, maybe something along the lines of, Eastview, New Jersey, like they had in uh, WandaVision or something. Maybe just a small town like that, but how many how many residents were in that town? And and how could I... Is there a, a number like real lore around that certain number? And it, it's probably not going to... I'm not going to find it. I'm just going to have to come up with it myself, which is fun too. But yeah, so there's lots of questions about this story that I want to figure out. And I don't know if I'm making any <laughs> any uh, decisions while I'm brainstorming here, but I guess that's what brainstorming is about, throwing out ideas. You know, how is it decided who leaves town? How long do you have to stay in town before you're considered part of the population? And it will all be told from Delvin's point of view. And he's going to have a lot of questions like, why didn't you tell me about this? It's only a week away and now I'm finding out about outcast day and what that really means and so like you guys are supposed to be my friends you should have prepared me for this 
and you know, maybe he finds out that they've been working behind the scenes to, so that none of them will have to be the outcast or to, you know, kill somebody off or something like that. And maybe, or maybe that's the mission of the, uh, wow, that's a whole, that's a whole other idea. Like what if people murder somebody else to maintain the population so they don't have to be outcast, but maybe that's a hard rule too. like murder is worse than being outcast or something. I don't know, but that's my story (laughs) idea. My story idea that I'm going to work on for next July and hopefully I'll write it before then. But, uh, I, I wasn't able to get it done this week. So I, I came up with Butcher's Gulch. <laughs> so a little bit behind the scenes about how I came up with this story, Butcher's Gulch, was that you know I thought I'd pretty much given up, that I wasn't going to be able to uh, write a story for Rish on his birthday. And I was going to record this episode just, you know, doing the brainstorming thing about the outcast. And I was just going to make this an episode where I talked about the story that hadn't been written yet and what my thoughts and and whatever was. Um, But then as I was driving to Montana, I was taking uh, the long way, right? Taking the highways and going through the little towns. And I, I like to I don't like to go somewhere and come back the same way. I like to plan out a route that's different. So you see something different on the way to your destination than you do on your way home. And I always wanted to go this long way to Montana, but my family's always like, oh, can't we just get there sooner? Do we have to go this long, windy way? So I'm like, oh, fine. But now that I'm, but I was traveling by myself this time. And so I said, no, I'm going to go the long way. (laughs) And... Anyway, I was uh, traveling through Idaho, going up to Montana on Highway 95 and cutting over on uh, Highway 12 and 13, and or 13 and then 12, or something like that, anyway. Um, but there was this one section of the road where it tells me, turn left up here at, I think it was... It wasn't Butcher's Gulch, but it was like Butcher's... Oh, I can't remember the name of the road now. I think I have audio from that. Hold on. Let me play you the audio, because I was recording at the time that uh, the directions told me to go. In half a mile, slight left onto Butcher Creek Road. Yeah, so there you go. that's, That's the road that I was taking on. And I went around, so I went off the highway which was just a two lane road, but I started going through these farmer's fields and I was on, uh, dirt roads and I was on oiled roads. Sometimes it was paved, but I would go in and out and down and around and all. And then I eventually got back to the highway I was on. So it was like a shortcut to get me faster to my destination. But all I was doing was following what the phone told me to do. And at some point, I'm like, where are you taking me? Continue on Butcher Creek Road for three miles. This is Fairview Road, lady. 
This isn't, this can't be right. Okay, maybe it was Fairview, but now I'm on a dirt road. <laughs> Where are you taking me, Google? Am I going to be butchered? Is this like, oh, that'd be a good story idea. You're following your navigation and it leads you to be slaughtered at the end of uh, where you're going. Huh. Maybe that's my third story for this year. And I thought, wow, that's a really good idea. Um, and then I thought, oh, I could write, that could be a really short story. That doesn't have to be a long story. Hey, maybe I can write that really quick and get it done before July 13th. So, <laughs> so that's what I did. That's how I came up with this story. And, uh, I don't know. I, I enjoyed writing it. It was a lot of fun. Or at least I think it was. Um, anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode, this unorthodox, strange episode of the journey into podcast. For our next journey, I'll be back with a regular story or an old time radio show or something that's, uh, back to the, back to normal. That's back to the usual format, so to speak. Uh, thanks for coming. Hey, and until next time, stay safe out there and journey on. The Journey Into podcast is produced under Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means that you are encouraged to share this podcast with as many people as you would like. Uh, but please don't change it or sell it and let people know where you got it from. <laughs>